And it was really funny because the one guy that was like vehemently like going through scripture, it was interesting because they're going through the Greek and the Hebrew and there's obviously room for misunderstanding and interpretation and all those kind of things. But it was really funny. The guy that was so adamant about like that it's, there's no place for it and this is what the word of God says. Um, he then en- ended up saying at the end, and I thought, that's so odd. He ended up saying that he was at a conference where a woman was going to speak and that before she got up to speak, she pretty much acknowledged that the heads of the conference, who were men, had given her the invitation, and so she was doing it under their covering. And so I thought, well, if that's all people need, I'm doing it by my husband's invitation. <laughs> if that helps you. <laughs> uh, so if that qu- then qualifies anything that I have to say... <laughs> But um, I know, I just, after the whole debate, and just, he had such, and then at that one statement, I just thought, well, if that's all you needed, then we can all just get up and do that. And um, just, <laughs> just a couple of practical things before we go into the Word. So if you're not usually here, or a part of our church, um, you'll know on a normal day, I usually get through a quarter of my notes and have to pick and choose what I'm going to share, and 90% of it doesn't get shared, and then people end up emailing and asking for the notes. So then we actually really have a compounded problem today. I was supposed to speak last week, and this was supposed to be our final week, so it was supposed to be two weeks. So you have two weeks' worth of notes here. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) So we'll be ordering out lunch. No, I'm just joking. Um, But so we're just going to kind of pick... (laughs) I'm totally joking. Um... But a couple of practical things. As you guys know, we're, we're in the Lent season here, the season of Lent. Um, you know, kind of the preparing of the heart up until the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And it really is a holy season. And I want to encourage everyone here, no matter what your denominational background, is to look at the season of Lent as not necessarily you going without something, but preparing yourself for more of someone. Okay, because when we talk about issues of prayer and fasting, uh, oftentimes we can look at it as almost we're, we're focusing on the abstaining or that somehow you're going without something. But if you reverse that and look at you're preparing yourself for more of something. And so when we talk about Lent, it's, it's not a, a kind of weeping and mourning and, and, and a place of self-affliction. It's a place of saying there's something I desire more and I'm going to prepare my heart for that. And so in preparation for that, if you're new here, um, you wouldn't know, but now you will know, March 1st through April 9th of 2006, so do the math, that was 10 years ago, is actually when we launched the Justice House of Prayer here in Cambridge. And so we are, at the end of this 40-day season, we are going to have a 10-year celebration that we're going to do, and we'll give you all of those details. But I just want to say we are going to be joining in a corporate fast from March 1st through April 9th. Um, we're going to share way more about that next week, and we're going to have Vision Sunday. So if you've never heard of prayer and fasting, if you've never fasted, you don't want to miss the next two weeks because we're going to be preparing our community. If right now you're thinking, heck no, I will not be there. (laughs) I don't want to hear about fasting, and I don't want to fast. I'm just going to say, if you understand it from a biblical perspective, but if you also understand fasting in the New Testament, there's joy in the place of fasting because, like I said, it's the preparation of the heart for more. And so we'll be preparing you. But honestly, 
honestly, I like to give dates for fasts way in advance because I know for me, I mentally, emotionally, and physically really prepare myself. Because if five days before we're starting a fast, five days before March 1st, we're like, we're going to fast. There's almost like a place where you've booked all these dinner parties and you've already stocked your cabinets with like six months worth of chocolate, you know, and so it's almost like, ah, I can't. But for me, I actually, I, I really prep. I prep our calendar. I make sure that we're, I'm, I'm not at a dinner party every night of the week staring at everyone and salivating over their food. Um, you know, there's a place with, with your time. You carve out more time for prayer. But prepare your body. Maybe now you could start weaning yourself off of some sugar. And so that March 1st hits and you're not having, you know, pain and shakes and <laughs> all those things. So March 1st through April 9th. So I'm just going to do a very quick recap. My husband did the first two weeks of the Awake series. And so for anybody that was not here, we joke a little bit that you could preach the same message two Sundays in a row and get a completely different crowd of people. And they'd be hearing the message for the first time. Um, not a bad thing. It's a cultural thing that's happening right now. I would encourage us not to uh, reflect our culture as far as our commitment to Sunday morning church, but it is a cultural thing. We've heard it from east to west coast that it's like people go to church two times a month. Um, so I'm going to give you a little recap so you're brought up to speed because this is our final week. Um, Ephesians 5.8. For those of you that weren't here, this is actually where Daryl opened us up. Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let's just repeat that passage in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Ooh. Let's just pause there. <laughs> this is actually saying, you, not only do you not have fellowship, but you expose them. So for every person that has an issue with the church speaking out against sin, this is actually the charge that the church has, is to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Not to hide from them in fear and shame, not to be silent on the issue, but to be a voice that exposes them. Verse 12 for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest in light, therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is in dispensation, but filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to give you a very quick rundown of this word awake. For those of you that are kind of like, well, I feel awake. Let's look at the, what the word awake in the Greek actually means. It means to, to arouse and to cause to rise, either from sleep or from lying down. It's to um, arouse from sleep of, of the sleep of death, to recall the dead to life. 
It's to raise up, to once again produce, to cause to appear, to bring before the public. It's to stir up once again. It's to cause to be born. It's to raise up, build up. And specifically, it's the idea, this is the idea, understanding spiritually, of collecting one's faculties to awaken to rouse literally from sleep or from lying down, to awaken and to arise out of disease, from a place of disease, from death. It's figuratively, but also literally from the place of obscurity. Do you guys understand what the word obscurity means? From from obscurity, from inactivity, from ruins and non-existence. It means to awake, to raise, to rear up, to rise up, to stand up, and to take up. And when you look at the word in the Greek, it literally, it denotes a physical rising from the death, from death, a physical rising from sleep, a physical rising from being crippled, meaning unable to walk, and it means a spiritual rising from slumber. So what does that mean to be spiritually slumbering? Most of us in this place like, I feel awake right now. But if we look at the passage of scripture of what actually the word of God defines by what it is to be awake. In this passage of scripture as well, the word sleep literally means to yield to sloth and sin. So when he's saying about awakening, he's saying to become spiritually awake to rise out of your sleep, which is to rise out of sloth and sin. What is sloth? It's inactivity and being lazy. I mean, the word of God is very clear on the issue of being awake, but also this issue of sleep. And we're going to look at it in in more detail today. um, So sleep literally means to yield to sloth or sin, to be indifferent to one's salvation. To be indifferent to one's salvation. The vine's expository means it's a carnal indifference to spiritual things. On the part of, it's a, it, this is all speaking on, on the part of believers, not unbelievers. It's a condition of insensitivity to divine things involving conformity to the world. So any place that we have an insensitivity to divine things and we find ourselves conforming to this world, that's an indication that we're in spiritual slumber. So this passage in Ephesians that says, awake you who sleep, it's speaking about those that are indifferent and inactive concerning spiritual things. And he says, arise from the dead. The word arise means to cause, to raise up, to raise up from the dead, to cause, to be born, to appear, to come forward, to rise up, to stand up. The word from the dead here in in the Greek actually means to be spiritually dead. Arise from spiritual death. Arise from being destitute of life. If we're destitute of life that recognizes and is devoted to God being given up to trespasses and sin, arise from being inactive in respects to doing what is right. So this is actually, it's not even talking about perpetuating sin. It's talking about just being inactive from doing what is right. Because there's the sins of omission and there's the sins of commission. There's those things that we actually commit and do, and there's those things we neglect to do. And he's actually talking about the place of inactivity here. This word, to arise from the dead, literally means arise from being destitute of force. 
being destitute of power, being inactive and inoperative. How many of us in our spiritual life feel destitute of force and power? How many of us feel weak and ineffective? It's a sign of spiritual death in our life. But I just want to say before we move forward, whenever we look at these passages of scripture, I'm just going to encourage everyone's heart here. When you look at passages of scripture that are speaking about coming out of death into life, even in Revelations, he's addressing the church in Revelations, there's the understanding that, that men fall prey to this. He, he's not condemning, but he's instructing, don't stay there, arise from the dead. So it's fully knowing that this is your temptation, that this is your struggle, that this is the human reality, but he's calling you into something else. So that's not saying that if you're in here today and you identify with this, that you're like, yeah, I, I think I'm spiritually dead. That's understanding that that is the human condition, but he calls us to wrestle against that and he calls us to something higher and something greater. Okay, so no condemnation. No one's pointing the finger at you. This is the identification of the the draw on man's soul, and we're going to look at what Scripture says concerning this. So he says, "Awake from awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light." Right? And what is that? What does he go on to say? He says, "Walk." He gives us an instruction to walk. He calls us from the dead, and then he gives us an instructor. Do you understand that that means that you're no longer lying down? You're no longer inactive. There's then the instruction to walk, meaning make progress, move forward, be active in your approach. No longer passive, no longer inactive, but mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, activate yourself. So he says, walk circumspectly. What does circumspectly mean? In our culture and society that's forever looking for the vacation, forever looking for the downtime and the me time and the relaxed time, that's forever looking for that window in that pocket, we all live for like the five o'clock hour to get out of work and go do what? Sit your butt in front of the TV and fill it with propaganda? Or what? Go sip your glass of wine and numb yourself from the world? I mean, we're kind of like living for that. I get a week off. I'm going to sit there. I'm just going to veg. I'm going to eat. I'm going to gorge myself. I'm just going to feed my flesh. You know, we're all looking at it as like, that's not sin. How many of us, we actually look for those windows and those pockets of time to go, I have some time to myself. I get to meet with God. <laughs> no, really. That's what it means. You might think that that's religious and legalistic, but according to the word of God, that's what it means to be spiritually alive. Because your spirit man is fed and awakened and fueled and strengthened by fellowship with God. So that's what you're living for, is that place of fellowship and communion. So he actually says, walk. He's saying, move. He's saying, take action. Move your two feet. Stop being inactive. Walk circumspectly. Do you know what the word circumspectly means? Do you guys love language? Like what words? It's like amazing. It means walk exactly. Walk accurately. Listen to this word. Walk diligently. Walk diligently. Oh my. Walk perfectly. Hmm. 
Walk careful in the strictest of attention. How many of us feel like we wake up every day walking in the strictness of attention to our spiritual life before the Lord? Or how many of us does he just get the leftovers? The leftover energy, the leftover time, the leftover resource. Walk circumspectly. This is his instruction. He's saying, arise from the dead and walk circumspectly. This is your instruction. Do you know what this indicates? It indicates that being spiritually alive and awakened doesn't come naturally. It comes with intention. It comes with diligence. It comes with exerting effort and energy. I know for all of you that are kind of like, oh, it's the works of the flesh. No, 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 no. You living in your flesh is the works of your flesh. You disciplining your flesh to cultivate a life in the spirit, that is what he calls you to. Because you're no longer a slave to your fleshly desires. You bring them into captivity and submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. So your spiritual man can be like the Hulk. <laughs> That's how it happens. You're either feeding one or the other. Everything in your life. You're, I want you to define your life this way. It's like this with nutrition. It's like this with your time. It's like this with your relationships. You are feeding something. With your food, you're either preventing disease or you're causing disease with what you're eating. With your time, it's the same thing. You're either preventing disease, it's as practical as brushing your teeth. You're preventing infection. You're preventing it by doing something proactively. This is precisely what he's saying when he's saying walk circumspectly. He's saying walk with absolute diligence, giving attention to your spiritual life. This word circumspectly, it actually says following the most precise and rigorous in interpreting the Mosaic law and in observing even the most minute precepts of the law and tradition. You know what that means? It means we devour the word of God looking for his will and his intention and his desire, not presuming that we know it or presuming that our ways are somehow his ways but searching out the word and saying, I want the fullness of all that you've called me to. So this is Ephesians. This is where my husband started. Right? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 8. I'm just, I want to make sure we all understand what we're talking about when we're talking about being spiritually alive. Revelations 3, 2, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and, to the, and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. What does he say? This is scary. But you are dead. It's the same word dead. Same word in the Greek there all over again. You're laying spiritually inactive. You are indifferent to spiritual things. You have a name that you're alive. That means it can look good on the outside. It's about the inward reality of our devotion before Christ but you are dead. And then it, here's this word, verse two, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have found your works perfect. I, I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you do not watch, there's the word watch again. 
I will come for you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. So we find here his instruction. This is like I said to you earlier, no condemnation if you're finding yourself spiritually dead. I love that he gives a window. He basically says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. And then he basically says, do the first works and watch. He gives the instruction. So this is what I want to say. There is no room for you here today to wallow in self-pity, despair. I'm too far gone. I'm, I'm too bad of a case. I've screwed it up. I'm not like everybody else. I've, I'm so deep in sin and sloth. Guess what? The God, mercies of God are new every morning. The ground at the cross is level. I'm no further ahead than you are. We all stand before the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And it's him who qualifies us. Okay? So you, you press delete. I tell my son all the time, his belly button is a restart button. When he's got bad, like bad attitude, bad space, he'll, he will. He'll say, he's such a precious little guy. Mommy, my, my attitude wasn't good today. I'm not, not good. I'm like, he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't. And I'm like, let's just press delete. Come on. I'm going to restart. I'm like, restart all over. I don't even remember your bad attitude. It's all new. So for all of you here today that have been in cycles of defeat and despair and inactivity, for all of you that have been spiritually dead, spiritually inactive, that have neglected your walk with God, that as this word that actually in the Greek says, when we're dead, that we literally are indifferent. For all of you here going, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent. Kind of indifferent to spiritual things. You're just going to press restart today. Okay? Just a big restart button. And you want to know something? You're going to press restart today. You're going to press restart tomorrow. You're going to press restart the next day. You know what you do? You just keep on making a vow before him. I'm saying, I'm going to live alive. I'm not going to rest or settle in this place of inactivity. So this is Revelations. I want you guys to understand when he says, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. Do you know that the word watchful and the word awake are literally interchangeable in the Greek? It's the same root word. So he's saying, be watchful. He's literally saying, stay awake. Don't go to sleep. He's saying, be watchful. That word watchful literally means vigilance. Come on. Do you like the word vigilance? (laughs) Or do you just cringe? (laughs) I'm looking for a nap. Not looking to be vigilant. <laughs> vigilant. <laughs> vigilant and, and expectancy as con- contrasted with being lackadaisical and indifferent. Vigilant and expectant. That's literally what his instruction in his charge. He's saying, You have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. This is my instruction to you be watchful. He's saying, stay awake, be expectant, be vigilant. The word watch is a metaphor which gives strict attention to, to to take heed lest through remission and neglect some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes us. The word literally means to keep awake and to watch. And then I think Daryl had touched on... um, the five wise and five foolish virgins as well. I'm still doing my recap here. <laughs> Matthew, what's that, babe? Did you do that? Okay, Matthew 24, 36. Um, <clears throat> once again, we see the word watch. 
But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in a field, and one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other one left. Here you go, guys. Here's your word again that we've been going over. Interchangeable with the word awake is the word watch. Verse 42, watch therefore. This is your instruction. This is the warning that he gives to us. This is the counsel he gives to us about the coming of the Son of Man. He says, watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. This is speaking about your spiritual house. Keeping watch over your spiritual house that the thief does not come to rob, kill, and destroy. That he does not devour your walk and your devotion to Christ. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Mark 13, 34. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor, nor, the, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to eat to, for each of his work. And they commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master... So they're saying, awake, be awake, be alert, be vigilant, therefore, for you do not know, the, know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, or at the the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you, what? Sleeping. Once again, this is not physical sleep. If you look in the Greek, it's a spiritual slumber. It's a place of indifference. And I say to you all, watch. I say, he's saying, stay awake. And also we have in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. This word watch literally means to be sleepless, to be without sleep, to be alert and to be awakened. How many of you guys are familiar with um, Ephesians 6.18? This is actually because we were just talking about the enemy, how he basically will come to plunder our spiritual house. Ephesians 6 is actually all about the armor of God. Uh, we don't have time today to go into Ephesians 6, but that and that alone we could preach for hours. Ephesians 6 is about the armor of God, about being vigilant and standing and how to basically stand in spiritual warfare. Over and over, the instruction is to stand, to stand fast. And then it goes on to say um, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful. There's that word again. There unto with all perseverance, say perseverance, and supplication for all saints. Do you hear the language that is used in the word of God? There's no place it's like, sit back, just bask, and hope the glory comes. <laughs> just sit back and wait, and hope your breakthrough is nigh. <laughs> it says, be watchful, therefore, with all perseverance. Do you want to know the word perseverance? It means to be devoted or constant to one thing. 
How many of you guys are feeling super devoted and constant in your walk before the Lord? To be steadfastly attentive. To persevere and to not faint. Romans 13, 11, it is high time to awake. Here's this word, awake again. And do this knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. All the same language. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day it is at hand. Therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lusts. Come on, some of you need to get that word in your spirit. Make no provision for your... How many of us are making provision through false doctrine and theology, making a lot of provision for our flesh to operate? Come on, make no provision for your flesh because your flesh is not your friend and sin ain't your friend. Get that deep down in your heart. It ain't your buddy. It ain't working for you. It'll kill you. Okay? It's the enemy of your soul. Philosophers speak of, of a soul inattentive to spiritual matters as being a soul that is, is asleep. I want to touch on a couple things as we're closing out here. Charles Finney, for those of you that aren't um, aware of who he was, he was a revivalist. We're actually going to talk about a couple of these revivalists specifically. But he defined revival, like literally the reviving of the soul, as returning to obedience to God. That when you see revival in culture and society, is literally it's just the people of God returning to obedience. If you guys want to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11. How many of you guys know here, here's the, in the beginning of 11 is actually when the disciples come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, they say, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. You find that in verse one. The disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And what does Jesus do? He teaches them the our father. This is where we, he gives another day, another time. (laughs) I think actually Daryl and I talked about on Saturday nights doing 15 minutes teaching on prayer and then just applying and doing what we just taught in the prayer room. Um, But this model right here, I encourage you, meditate on it. Our Father who art in heaven, start your prayers out with just acknowledging. Get your mind off of yourself. I stink. My life stinks. It all stinks. I'm a failure. No, get your eyes on him. Our Father who art in heaven. You see him, it's going to change everything. You see him, all of a sudden you have hope over all circumstances, even your wretched self. (laughs) It's amazing. Our Father who art in heaven, he gives the model on how you're supposed to pray. Beautiful. Let's just follow it. We'll all be led into victory. Our Father who art in heaven. And then he goes on specifically to go on to this parable. So I, pay close attention to this. I, I just want to say this to you. If they're saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's Jesus, right? Jesus. They're asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus gives them the Our Father. And then he moves directly into this parable. It's an important parable. If this is Jesus giving his instruction on, this is how you pray. You should probably pay attention to this, right? 
probably go, okay, this is key. Out of all the verses I could study about prayer, there's something here that Jesus was wanting to instill. And what does he do? I love this. We just talked about persistence, didn't we? He gives a parable about the persistent friend. Some of you, I'm going to actually read this because I understand there might be some people here that maybe have never read this parable before, so I don't want to rush through it. And for those of you that have read it, you might not have looked at it in its entirety. And he said to them, this is Jesus. These, These are the words in red. Jesus spoke. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, let's just pause here before we move on to the story. He's saying, which of you, that if you have a friend, so what he's saying is there's a friend that comes at, I'm a friend, I'm going to come to Anna at midnight, knock on her door. I'm not getting bread for me. I don't need the bread. I didn't want the bread. I'm coming to her saying, I have a friend who came to me asking for bread and I got nothing to give. So this is at midnight because you know what? The friend that I'm knocking on the door, you know what my friend says? Go away. I'm laying in bed with my children. If you study the Hebrew culture at that time and the way that they lived, you know what? That the closing of the door literally meant it had been like bolted. It would be loud and really inconvenient because they all slept in one little room. Ever been to my house? <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> they all slept. <laughs> we, we just always say, like, I get up at five to pray. Abram's like, mom, you know, I'm like, oh, go to bed. Um, they all slept in one little room. So you're hearing everything. If you wake one person, they're all waking. Hugely inconvenient. He actually had like a really good excuse of why not to get out of his bed, right? I'm laying here with my children. It's about the children here. The children, the children will wake up. The door door has been bolted. So he basically says, I'm not getting out of bed to meet your need. This man, do you know the whole parable here is about he continues knocking. The guy won't go away. So which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise to give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise to give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open for you. For anyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, find, and to him who knocks, it will be open. There's a ton that we could apply here. Because just so you guys understand, in essence, the gentleman that has to open the door and give the bread, it's God. You stand as the intercessor going to God on behalf of the needs of man. That's what this parable means. It literally means, you got nothing to give. Ha! You got no bread. You do not have what the world needs. You don't have it. There's someone you have to go to that has it that can give it to you. But do you want to know what this is all happening? This is all taking place in the night hours. When any sane person would be sleeping, right? 
Do you know all of the scriptures that we looked at previously about this issue of be awake? That word awake is interchangeable with watch. To stay awake and be watchful. This is what I'm going to say to you today. If we are spiritually awake, we are a praying people. No, if we are spiritually awake, we are a praying people. It's the fruit of being alive and awakened spiritually. He was up in the night season, knocking on the door, asking for bread. He was not in the comfort of his bread. I'm in his bed. (laughs) He was not in the comfort of his house. He was not seeking his own security and his own well-being. He was out and he was active on behalf of others. This right here is the clearest indication of what it is to be spiritually alive, to be spiritually awake. It's a place when you move out of indifference to the needs of men. You know what? I hear a lot of debate in the body of Christ about whether or not we're supposed to pray for revival. You know what that comes down to? That comes down to a lackadaisical body that doesn't want to be concerned on behalf of culture and society and the nation at large. We're just concerned about ourselves. But do you see in the word of God that those that are alive, those that are awakened, that in the night season, they're out crying out on behalf of those in need, saying, there's a need. You know what? In this parable, why didn't the first guy just send the guy away? Sorry, I don't got bread. I don't got bread. Go find somebody else. You know what he did? He saw the need, and it provoked him to action. He was awake in the night season. And as as we're concluding this series on being spiritually awake, of, of being alive, the greatest indication in our life of whether we're spiritually awake is our prayer life, of whether we are watchful in the place of prayer. And like I said at the very beginning of this message, there is no condemnation. I'm not here to shine a big bad light on where we're weak and we're not doing it. I'm here saying that this is the word of God and the instruction to us is rightfully assess your spiritual state. And then he says, awake and watch. So this is, this is Luke 11. I'm going to give you guys really, really quickly, um, you know what, just for sake of time, we're not going to close out with the last scriptures. Um, you guys can find in James, or how you guys are familiar with James 5.16, is actually, it's speaking about Elisha. If you look at Israel's history, it was a very, it actually said, Ahab did more wickedly than all of the kings before him. That's a dark time in history. That's a really dark time in history. So like, let's look at Elisha for a second. Elisha was like, well, I'm not getting involved with government and politics. <laughs> No, really. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, do you guys know, if you guys want to really look at Bible, these prophets were used to confront kings and rulers. They were used to influence kings and rulers. So our lame excuse is the body of tri- Christ of, of not being involved with politics like in government. It's because we have no influence and we have no voice of authority. So we just want to withdraw completely. But how about we take the role of the Old and the New Testament church where there's influence in government and in society because of the power of God that rested upon the church. So that was Elisha, actually, as he goes and confronts the powers of the day. There's Elisha, and it actually says, Ahab said he was the troubler of Israel. 
the troubler of Israel. Can you imagine the king in that day and age? But you know what happened? Elisha prayed that it, 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 there would be a drought, and there was a drought. Elisha prayed that it would rain, and it would rain. There was a place of answered prayer. In James 5, 16, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Do you guys know that word fervent? There is nothing lackadaisical about that whatsoever. There is no place of just like, in God's timing, and if and so he chooses, you know, it's that place of locking on to the purposes of God and taking that Luke 11 posture of persistence until the door is opened. Because you know what? It is his desire. It is his will. It is his purpose. He's just simply looking for that voice of agreement on the earth. And you want to know something? Oftentimes it's like, oh, God didn't do it in my time. God did it. We all get angry at God. No, no, no. This is about you. He can do it whenever he wants to, however he wants to do it. Do you know it's about you? He's working something in you. So get your eyes off of blaming him and in and it God and he said revive. No, shut your mouth, okay? This is about you and a process being worked in you because you're immature and you're pitiful. I'm speaking to myself right now. Immature and pitiful. And when it doesn't happen in my timing, it's not because God didn't. And I thought God said, no, oh, there's prophets. No, it's about Bethany. I'm working maturity and stability and sustainability in you. There's something of the character and the nature of God being worked in you. So you know what? Obey scripture no matter what it looks like. It's not based upon the results or how it happens or how it's translated. It's about the word of God said it, so I'm going to do it without question and do a work in me. Form me into your image and likeness. So Elisha, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. The word fervent means to be operative and at work, to put forth work. Nobody wants to do that, right? Have you, never mind. <laughs> never mind. I'm just going to leave that. <laughs> And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not. Elisha saw a national awakening. Elisha, one lone dude, <laughs> saw a national awakening. And you want to know why? Because he was a man of prayer. He himself was alive and awakened. And therefore, he was crying out on behalf of a people. He was embodying Luke 11. We see the embodiment of that in Elisha. Do you guys want to know who else we actually see? George Whitfield. For those of you that don't know New England revival history, read it, study it. But in England, you know what they actually said about George Whitfield? They said his voice was like a trumpet that startled and awakened all of England. You know what that means? It means that he startled England out of sleep. Come on, in order to startle a society out of sleep, you yourself cannot be in spiritual slumber. There has to be a force and a strength and an authority and a fire. And you know, what was that word we looked at? We looked at the word to be spiritually dead literally meant to lack. What was it? To lack force and power. So what does that mean? That if you're spiritually alive, that you are not lacking force and power. But there's force and power upon your life. And there's force and power upon your words. So where's the church that's alive? Where's the people that's alive? That there's force and power upon the preaching of the gospel, just like George Whitfield's. Be a voice 
that your voice would be like a trumpet that startles and awakens all of America. Awake out of sleep. Awake out of slumber. Awake out of deception. Awake out of despair. So instead of forming doctrine and theology and ideology to excuse our lame and slumbering state, let's look at the word of God for what it is and what he calls us to. Because it is a victorious and glorious church that we find in scripture. I'm going to review super fast. We don't have time. <laughs> I'm always the run over queen. I'm just going to, instead of going over all of this, um, I really want to touch upon, I encourage you as a community, study the Bible, study the word of God, study history. You know, Hmm. There are so many lame teachings right now in the body of Christ that I sit there and scratch my head and go, does anybody know history? Like, that's just not true. It's, it's not true. You can't study history and find that. And you know why I say that? Is there's such doctrine and theology around, like, spiritual apathy that somehow, like, I am the fullness of Christ in Jesus, and there's no place that I have to pray and fast because I have. Well, since when? When was your shadow healing people? I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. But you want to know something? You study history. Jonathan Edwards, if you don't know his name, you should because you're in Boston. New England was awakened by Jonathan Edwards. I, from the time I was probably 12 years old, Jonathan Edwards, has, he's my favorite revivalist. Yours is Finney, right? Well, mine's Edwards. We all have our person we lock on to. Do you want to know what's amazing about Edwards? They literally say that when he stood in the pulpit, the glory of God would fall. The glory of God would just cover entire fields and entire meeting places. Do you want to know what's insane, though, about Jonathan Edwards? There was nothing about a life of ease with that man. He had a slew of children, but he spent eight hours a day in prayer and the study of the word. But that's actually not even necessarily my point. You want to talk about the issue of being spiritually alive and awakened? Jonathan Edwards lived with, I think there's 70-something of them, 65, I don't even know how many, 70-something res resolves, the resolves of his life that he lived by. What's your resolve? <laughs> no, really, like, what's your resolve when I wake up today? When I wake up today, my resolve is to eat potato chips, scroll through Facebook, and maybe take a shower. And really, what's your resolve when you wake up? You want to hear some of Jonathan Edwards' resolves that he lived by? This is actually what I <laughs> This is what I love. I resolve, if ever I shall fall and grow dull, so as to neglect and to keep any part of these resolutions. He starts basically by saying, if any one of these 75 re re resolutions I deviate or fall from, do you know what he says? I resolve to repent of all that I can remember, and then I come back to myself again. So he's resolving, basically, before I even read these to you, is to say, if he neglects them, or if he falls short of them, he's resolving to then pick them back up again. Yeah. I resolve to live with all my might while I live. I resolve never to lose one moment of time, yes. Yes. but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. I resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. How would you live if it was the last hour of your life? That's how he's resolving to live. No wonder why he had such great influence. 
Talk about being spiritually awake so that there is force and power upon his life. I resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed wherein I have been, that I have neglect, any place that there is sin that I have committed, wherein I have denied myself also at the end of every week and every month and every year. Imagine not going to bed at night, every night until you've assessed your day before the Lord and weighed it before him and what pleases him. What would happen if we started to live that way? Instead, we're all looking for our next Netflix fix, right? Beloved, actually, I'm not going to go into that yet. I resolve never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor, more or less upon no account. He's literally saying, I'm I'm not going to speak anything that would cause dishonor to someone else. What if we all put a watch over our words? You know, whether that's our, our spouses, our children, our friends, our peers, people we go to church with, people we work with. Never to speak anything that would in any way dishonor another person. So mind you, I mean, there's 75 of these. We could just go on all day long on his <laughs> resolve. Resolve that when I find those groanings which cannot be uttered, Romans 8:26, of which the Apostle Paul spoke, and those, breaking, those breakings of the soul for the longing at heart in which the psalmist speaks in Psalms, Psalms 119:20, that I will promote them to the utmost of my power and that I will not that I will not be weary of earnestly endeavoring to vent my desires, nor of my repetitious in such repetitions in such earnest prayer. But mind you, he's basically saying that if he fails in these things and he realizes, and he used the word, that if I realize that I've grown dull, I'm going to pick them right back up again. Amen. And I'm going to start again. That's the resolve to live awake. Amen. He lived awakened because it was with intentionality. And then for those of you that are familiar with John Wesley, and the Holy Club that he formed, the, the revival that they actually saw, they actually had 22 questions that they would ask themselves daily. Talk about walking circumspectly. I mean, if, if you want to talk about what that verse meant, here it is being lived out. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I being a hypocrite? Am I honest in all of my acts, in all of my words, or do I exaggerate? Do I confidently pass on to others what was told to me in confidence? Can I be trusted? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Am I self-conscious? Do I I attend to self-pity or self-justifying? Did I live my Bible today? Did I give it time to speak to me today? Am I enjoying prayer? Do I pray about the money I spend? Do I get to bed on time and get up on time? Do, do I disobey God in anything? Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Conscience is uneasy. Talk about a sensitivity. I'm not going through all of these. We don't have time today. You can look them up online if you'd like to read those daily. <laughs> but I bring up these gentlemen, and this is why I say history, because oftentimes we, 
we, we disregard certain passages of scripture of somehow it doesn't apply to us or it's not, and I'll be honest with you, it really comes down to being culturally re re relevant. We, we've adapted the word of God. We've adapted Christianity to the culture in which we live. But if you even look, yes, biblically, but if you look historically at the lives of these men and women, they embodied these passages of scripture that we talked about in Ephesians 5 and in Romans of not only living awake, but walking circumspectly and being watchful. You know, I listened to this TED Talk one day. The lady was, I would, I would play it, but she was by no means a believer and actually used some colorful language here and there. But you know what she was talking about? She was talking about the principle of being awake. And it reminded me so much of the passage of scripture that says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and violent men take it by force. You know what she was talking about? She basically said, it's her job in life to help people get what they want. And she said, all of us are living kind of with dreams. There's, some, there's something you want. But a, mass, a vast majority of culture and society, they're living without what they want. They're going without it. And the reason is, is that basically you're, you're pacifying yourself of kind of like, oh, you know, um, I don't have the job I want, but it's okay. I'm just going to keep, or, oh, my marriage is, eh, I can live with it. I can, you know, all those things that you excuse. And instead of actually initiating and engaging in change, you just stay where you are. So she actually went through the psychology and the understanding of all of us, and we won't go there today, but basically mentally, we all either live on autopilot, like there, we live, that's usually where we live, but the other place where you can live is basically the place where you're going to take action, and it actually requires activation force. It literally is, Will's a science guy, so he's like, this is in chemistry, I know, aren't you? Because <laughs> like, like, it's true. In order for there to be a reaction, there is a, a certain amount of energy and force that is required. You think about that. In order for your engine to start, you've got to turn a key, and there's like a reaction to take place. There's something that is required. But the same thing is in all of us. The same thing is in all of us, is this place that in order to see change or to see activity or momentum, in order to see what you desire, and she was talking about in a very humanistic sense. Like, if you want to be a millionaire, you just have to act. You know, and she's going through her whole thing. And to be honest, she's right. Like, most people, the, the very issue is inactivity. They never begin. They just think about it. And then they talk themselves out of it. And all the reasons why it won't work and all the reasons that they're okay just living their mediocre life. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm going to say to you today, all of you at one point in time have had a vision of your spirit of who you're called to be spiritually. You, you get a glimpse of it. I, it. Some of you, it might be in the area of gifting and calling, and some of you might see yourself, you know, in stadiums, you know, doing things like that. But some of you, it's not about gifting and calling. It's just who you are called to be in Christ. The place of freedom, the place of liberty, the place of not being ensnared to sin, the place of fellowship and communion, exactly what we're talking about today. You've had a vision of what it is for your spirit man to be alive. But in order to move from where you are to that being a reality, it takes that activation energy. It takes that activation force. And it's moving beyond the place of dreaming it and thinking it to a place of taking action. 
And that's precisely what it is. And that's precisely what most of us lack, is we sit here and we think, yeah, I want to be alive, I want to be awakened. And you want to know what? You want to know the, and the interesting thing is, is that then tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off, instead of actually moving your body out of the bed, it's snooze. 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 Do you, do you want to know why in reality? Everyone wants to stay asleep. We do. It, it's going contrary to our fleshly nature to be active. And you know one of the illustrations she actually used is she basically said, if we kind of took a poll of everybody in the room, is that when your alarm goes off in the morning, instead of actually awaking and engaging, there's that place of just trying to stay in slumber and stay asleep. And she actually, this is amazing, she, she said, she said, I want to encourage you that tomorrow when your alarm goes off, to get up immediately. Take action. And you know what she actually said as well? She said, set your alarm for 30 minutes earlier than you usually do and use those 30 minutes to move towards the goal that you have. And she's talking about in her mind, I'm saying in your spirit. No, 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 really. If you want to be alive, I'm telling you, when you leave here today, that word force, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men lay hold of it. Violent men take it by force. There's language used there in the Greek. It's the understanding of, it's an aggressive approach to saying, this is what I want. This is what I desire. So I'm going to be active. That's the very language that we looked at at the beginning of this message today is the place of inactivity. And that he calls us to be active and to be alive. And I want to encourage for all of us here under the sound of my voice today, we're finishing out this awake series. It is what you are called to. There is the grace of God and the provision of God for you to live spiritually alive. But I'm going to say this to you. It requires action. It does. It requires that you do something differently than you have been doing. It requires that you actually get your butt up out of bed and carve out that time to actually be with God and spend time with him. And you know what? I'm going to say it. Even if you don't feel it, even if it doesn't feel good and it goes against everything inside of you, I'm saying do it and you're going to see change. You know why? You're going to see your spirit man come alive. Your spirit man will come to life and you will bear the fruit of that place of being engaged. Uh, Matthew 11 Matthew eleven twelve 12 is the scripture verse I was just re- referencing. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. It's that language of pressing in. In 1 Corinthians 15, 34, I'm going to leave you with this. Awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness is the language that he word the language that he uses, and it's literally the word righteous is the observing of divine law. And you know what? Do I have five minutes? I'm going to read you some scriptures. I don't. But when he says awake to righteousness, he says in sin no more. It's the place of understanding that sin actually wars against us being spiritually alive and awakened, and he calls us to the place of being watchful. Let's all stand to our feet. God, we thank you, Father, for the power of your word. Lord, that you've called us to be people that are alive and people that are awakened. God, I ask, Lord, that just even as we've talked about Jonathan Edwards today, God, as history reveals that his greatest fear was the place of spiritual inactivity, the place of becoming dull in spirit. God, I ask, Father, that today, Lord, that there would be a, a fresh fear of the Lord upon our community.
God, the places where we fear maybe poverty or we fear um, not having status and significance in this life. God, we ask, Lord, that instead, Father, that you would renew our minds with a healthy and holy fear of the Lord. God, that we would be more afraid of living spiritually dead and dull, that we would be more afraid of walking through this life sleeping spiritually and indifferent to your voice than we are of all the materialistic things and all of the things that we give our time and our energy to. God, we recognize today, Father, that where we sow our time is the greatest indication of what we value and what we desire. And God, I pray, Father, over our community that we would not just hear sermons on what it is to be spiritually awake. God, that we would not just hear scripture and have a mental assent, but God, the reality of our inward life, God, that we would wrestle for reality in those inward places. God, I just lift up every individual in this congregation Lord, that has been in a place of despair and despondency, that has been in a place of discouragement and inactivity. And God, I ask, Lord, that even today, God, that there would be a a supernatural reset button, a supernatural place where we, like Jonathan Edwards said, that we would just resolve to sign up again. God, we say that we're going to sign up again and again and again. God, that when we, when we recognize, Lord, that there is a dullness coming over us, when we recognize, Lord, that we are not as alert spiritually as you've called us to be and we desire to be, God, that we will simply renew our heart and renew our mind and begin again. And even as it says in Revelations that we would do the first works. God, I ask, Lord, right now, Lord, for Hilltop Community, God, that you would deliver us, Lord, from cultural mindsets, Lord, that have bathed us in in spiritually being lax, in spiritually being lazy and inactive. And God, I ask, Lord, that instead, God, that we would have a vision of what it is to be spiritually alive and spiritually strong. God, I ask, Lord, that you would renew our minds today, God, that even as we've heard your word, God, we ask for the the washing of the water of your word. God, we say right now, God, we ask that every excuse would be broken in Jesus' name. God, every excuse that we have fortified to live dull. God, that we would live without excuse, Father. You know, I just want to say, I think that there's some of us in this place today. I mean, I I understand it. Because like after my son was born, I was sleep deprived. I was breastfeeding. You know, I had a C-section. You know, you're kind of in one of those places where you're like, oh, I I have an excuse to kind of coast here for a little bit. And you know what's interesting is all of us, some of it's it's because of abuse and trauma. It's kind of like, I have a reason why I'm like this. I have a reason why I can't get out of it. You know, all of us kind of, we, we, some of us are like, I'm a full-time student. You don't know how hard it is. I just want to encourage you today that I, to defriend your excuse. Whatever your excuse is that's keeping you in inactivity. Some of you, it's discouragement. It's like, oh, I tried and I did and, and, and I got burnt. 
or I got hurt, or, you know, it's that place that we become disillusioned with life. And I just want to say, defriend your excuse. Get rid of whatever that excuse is. Like, identify it and understand that if you really want to be free, if you really want to be spiritually alive, there's no room for excuse. You know why? Because he is able and he is bigger than any circumstance. He is bigger than any abuse. He is bigger than any addiction. Those things are not things that we should use to fortify our position of being inactive and dull. It's a place where we simply exalt him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're holy. You're so high above. Move into a place of exalting him and who he is over yourself and over your circumstance. You know, this is what I just want to do. It's just a kind of a, a, a position before the Lord. If you're here today and as a part of this community, we're moving out of our, our awake series and we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. But I just want to say, if you want to make a resolution before God to live alive and awake, I want to encourage us. We're just going to make an altar here and close out with worship. And, and hear me again. Jonathan Edwards, his resolution was that if he did grow dull, when he came to his senses, he would begin again. There's no place of shame. There's no place of condemnation. It's making it the vow of our life that I've been called to live alive and awakened, and I will live as you've called me to live.